The following program is intended for mature audiences. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. It's Big Boom Radio Friday, people, so it's time once again for the Big Boom Radio podcast, Riffs and Rants, with Johnny Teflon and Michael Sean Lee. Both barrels, both sides, and a lot of good music, too. All I know is this violates every canon of respectable broadcasting. Indeed it does, my friend, indeed it does. And we'll be right back, folks, after the first gem of the day.
Chugga nice, chugga. Nice, nice. Right? A little space cowboy. Yeah. Chugging Man, across the stars. Yeah, I don't think we've done any Steve Miller up till now, have we? We haven't, which I believe is a punishable sin in certain southern states. I think so. And, 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 I think in so. the union. Yeah. Because look, it's it's Steve Miller. And yeah. as I've alluded to before, there are certain artists or bands that you will find in any dive bar's jukebox worth its weight and shit. Yeah, he is definitely one of them. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> one I of the archetypes. I had, uh, had the privilege to see Steve Miller live back in, God, this had to have been the late 1990s. Uh-huh. And uh, he was opening for the Grateful Dead in Las Vegas. Nice. And uh, it was one of those situations where opening band, so, you know, modest expectations, um, it's Steve Miller. He's bringing a reputation. He's been around for a few years. So you figure, yep. ah, he's going to do a good show. And he hit stage and just reeled off hit after hit after hit. Right. You know, and a couple, you had a couple of those, oh, wow, I didn't, didn't realize that was his, you know, moments where he busts out a certain tune and sure, whatnot. Sure, sure. And it was just impressive from top yep. to bottom. And I got to say, maybe this is, you know, one of the benefits of being Steve Miller, but his band were, were monsters. Oh, sure, no Every doubt. single one of them. And I have a, you know, a good friend of mine is about 10 years, well, maybe even 15 years younger than me. And uh, he had seen Steve Miller's recently as like one or two years ago. And he said, phenomenal. Yeah. Just a fantastic show. So God bless him in his yeah. 70s out there still yeah, doing his thing. I was going to say, he is still kicking. He yep. is still throwing it down. So, of course, you know, tip of the hat to you is I'm, I'm slowly learning to talk a little bit about these jams <laughs> that we play. I, I guess, you know. Every artist deserves some recognition for it. Absolutely. Some more so than others. Sure, sure. You know? So this was uh, off his 1974 album, A Brave New World. Of course, it's, uh, the name of the track is Space Cowboy. Of course. One of my favorite um, Steve Miller tunes, and you'll see in a moment how it lends itself to today's topics. Okay. Uh, and as I said to you when I told you we were going to play it, you know, this song for... Uh, DJs living in a digital age, yeah. it's kind of a white whale because it's very difficult to get a good, robust version of this song really? in, in digital format. I don't know why. That's interesting. There's a couple like that out there. And then occasionally you'll also find songs that are commonly played at a different um, beat per minute than the commercial version is that, that you buy on CD. Right. One that comes to mind there is Lenny Kravitz's Are You Gonna Go My Way? Okay. It's always faster on the radio than what you have at home. Really? For some reason. That's yes. interesting. So there's my little iconic uh, misfit quote from nice. my DJ nice. years. I like it. I like it. And now back to the matter at hand, yes. sir. Yes. As usual, we do have an agenda, don't we? We certainly do. Talking space cowboy shit here. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, we went into, uh, because obviously it's it's on everybody's, 
uh, topics of conversation around the water cooler yeah, these days. It is. Yeah. The uh, the Pentagon report on UFOs. Those sneaky bastards. Yeah. Who I mean, knew? the Pentagon, not the UFOs, of course. Yeah. It was it the UFO report <laughs> on the Pentagon? Now right. That, I'd love that, to read that. What, yeah. Seriously, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's it very interesting. You know, first and foremost, that the report uh, was actually part of a pandemic relief package bill that was signed off by Donald Trump, I think it was probably back in 2017, mm-hmm. that gave the Pentagon X amount of months uh, to put this report together and release it to the public. Right. And who would have thunk, you know, and maybe a little lesson for you know, people who are naive in the ways of government, mm-hmm. that somehow a pandemic relief package would include, you know, on top of this, we must have a report on UFOs. And moreover, Trump... I mean, you could say Kennedy was our first space president. You could. And yeah. you could say Reagan really helped things along with the whole space shuttle and all that. Yeah. And but he was Trump, pretty with the much formation of the Space, space Force himself. and his interest in UFOs, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you might consider him <laughs> no. to be, well, not spaced out. That's, yeah. that's low hanging fruit. That's kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but very involved in matters of outer space. Good for him. It's kind of funny because it's, it seems to be inherently contradictory. Yep. You know, all the, all the things that uh, the Donald was and is and <laughs> shall be, and, and all the things he was accused of don't seem to easily uh, explain, you know, the UFO thing. Yep. Uh, but, you know, yeah, there you go. And, uh, and very interesting. I don't know how many people uh, are familiar with the report and its contents, but a uh, couple, of, couple of significant news agencies, the New York Times and CNN uh, among them, uh, and I guess this is probably a, a typical theme you find from anything coming out of our government. Uh, in regards to the UFOs, they didn't find evidence that the UFOs uh, are alien spacecraft, but they didn't rule it out either. Right. And that seems to be a, a constant theme running through the entire report. You know, there, there was uh, another example. There was enough footage to confirm that they exist, but nothing to explain what mm. they are, yep. you know? Um, there was no evidence that they were alien, no evidence that they weren't alien. Um, and it just, you know, again, it, it, it almost raises more questions than it answers. Right. It's, it's like a lifeguard saying, well, we've spotted a shark about 20 feet away from you in the water, but we're not certain it's going to attack you. Yeah, we don't know what kind of shark it is. <laughs> um, but it's a shark, yeah, and but it's, it's larger than you. Yeah, it's definitely a shark. So, um, you know, take it with a grain of salt, right, right. you know, run with it if you can. <laughs> But uh, but there were there were you know there was were quite a bit of uh, interesting points in the report. Mm-hmm. Um, the report apparently it, it does detail uh, over 120 incidences of some kind of contact you know between naval flyers and these objects, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the footage really does you know make it completely clear that these things exist. You know, we don't know what they are, right? But they most definitely exist. And uh, one of the points, uh, you know, that uh, that they were emphatic about in the report was they wanted to, uh, I guess, completely uh, clarify the fact that uh, three specific bits of footage that were most compelling that apparently had been released in 2007 and then again in 2017 are in fact authentic. Hmm. You know, they are not fraudulent. They are the real thing. Again, they don't explain anything, you know, other than to say, yes, these things do exist. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and it's, and it's kind of interesting in a, in a, I guess you could call it a parallel uh, report uh, 
obviously inspired by this uh, release from the Pentagon. Mm -hmm. uh, 60 Minutes did an interview with a uh, retired Navy flyer, uh, a guy by the name of Ryan Graves. And uh, he said that uh, his fighter group, his fighter jet squadron, if you will, uh, began seeing UFOs uh, hovering over restricted airspace off the coast of Virginia uh, back in 2014. Hmm. And uh, it's very curious, and uh, I'm kind of surprised it didn't get more fanfare than, than it did. He commented that the, the pilots training off of the uh, Atlantic Coast uh, base, if you will, uh, had sightings every day for years. Right. Literally years. And... Uh, I don't know about you, but I, you know, that'd be like front page, sure, big type, sure. bold, you know, with balloons and firecrackers. Hey guys, you know, and it, it kind of is, is passe, I guess. Well, here's the uh, here's the crux. Those are your, your your factual snippets, and everybody can see these, you know, on on any internet, you know, news page, regardless of the network and whatnot. Yeah, it's it's big news, and they're they're releasing these things on a daily basis, all these sightings and whatnot, and the government's basically taking the approach of saying now, well, we don't know what it is, we can't verify it, but it's something, which is certainly more than we've ever gotten in the past. Yeah. So. Very, very, polit I must say, politically expedient. Yes. That they don't choose sides. They don't come down solid on the side of, yes, this is, you know, a clear indication that there right. is alien life uh, and alien technology that we have had contact with. Mm -hmm. But they don't say, no. There's no alien life and no alien technology right. that we've made contact with. They still have two out of three branches of the government working for them, and that ain't bad. And it's always interesting when you leave this kind of shit up to the public. Oh, yeah. You know, how, how it'll be interpreted well, by... before we deal with the public, oh, God. You know, we love you, public, but you're fucking crazy. <laughs> um, I, will, I will cross all the genres and... and do an intro snippet for you because I want to see what you think. All right. So I will put it in terms of uh, one of my heroes, Don Corleone. Nice. Uh, well, Mike, so Yeri, uh, you've had your drink. Uh, I would like to hear your thoughts on these UFOs. Uh, well, uh, Don John, um, <laughs> uh, included in this whole uh, presentation is uh, is, is uh, statement, I guess you could say, from agents uh, from U.S. counterintelligence that have said that some of these objects detailed in this report clearly, and this is a quote, can outperform anything we have in our inventory. Where's the real pretty shit now, man? It's kind of spooky. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's why it's on the DOD's radar. Right. Uh, because if they, you know, uh, have hostile intent, mm -hmm. we're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. not a hell of a lot we're going to be able to do about this. Yep. You know, and again, it's it's. I don't know. Maybe it's it's the legal weed nowadays or whatnot. But the the public's non-reaction to this, I don't know. I'm kind of encouraged. You know, well, I think the, the the public at large is just so beleaguered with actual real life shit that they've lost their appetite for. In this instance, in this day and age, right now, they don't have the stomach to deal with conceivably 
otherworldly life forms. It's it's entirely possible. It's way above their mental pay grade at this point. Yeah. Because they're still hunkered down and in bunkers from COVID-19. I was going to say, there's still probably some PTSD in existence there that... Or as we covered last week, languishing. Languishing, yes. (laughs) You know, that you could hit them in the head with a two-by-four and you're not going to get much of a reaction. You know? So that being said... After the earthquakes and tidal waves, they won't be quite the human beings you remember. Here's my two cents. Please. Now, I always say history is cyclical. And I'll definitely give you the Reader's Digest version of what I told you previously. All right. Um, you know, history always repeats itself. And most people with an with a associate's degree will then say, and, and you're doomed to repeat it if you don't learn. Shut up, okay? <laughs> just, just shut up with that. The fact of the matter is, it's not just recognizing historical facts and exact circumstances that are happening again, but yeah. it's, it's social perceptions um, and taboos and pariahs and all these things that evolve over time. Right. Now, the United States, historically, from a militaristic industrial standpoint, has believed in carrying the bigger stick. Okay? Yep, yep, we romanticize it. Yeah. Our bombs are bigger, our engines are louder, and we put shark teeth on our airplanes. All right? <laughs> so we're looking just to scare this shit or out-throttle any other potential yeah. danger out there. Scare okay? the shit out of them and then bomb the shit out of exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, or the famous phrase, shock and awe. There okay, we go. That's, how yep. we, that's our bread and butter. It is. Now, we live in a world where, as I alluded to in a, in a previous episode, where we conduct missile tests that fail and in this woke sense of transparency, we'll then hold a news conference and say, well, yeah, our technology is faulty and we missed and it's you know back to the drawing board. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> Well, that, 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 when you think about it, the implications, I mean, it's kind of like a major league baseball pitcher <laughs> with, a, with a serious, serious fucking fastball right. who's lost his control. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's and like, it's, gee, sorry about what's about to happen. That's right. You and it, this is no different than these individuals coming out on the record saying, well, this stuff vastly outperforms anything we have. Yeah. Because yeah, that's what you want to tell the world. Right? Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say, I mean... <laughs> You know, maybe maybe it's a situation where the public is so used to hearing deny, deny, deny uh-huh. um, that they figured, well, we'll we'll slip in a, a, a statement that's not a denial, right? You know, that has you know potentially devastating consequences, and they're so jaded mm-hmm. at this point by you know deny, deny, deny. This this isn't gonna. It's not gonna register on their right. radar. You know? Now, still riding this this horse of historical, selves. Yes, that. Um, uh, a, a bit of a paradigm shift that needs to be made these days. Okay. Because, look, China and Russia, for all intents and purposes, and I'll put this word in air quotes, okay. they are our enemy. Okay? He is air quoting, folks. He, he is, is air quoting. Yes. Uh, and if you prefer, let's just call them our chief competitors right. on the world stage. I think that's the more, more woke, more progressive. Okay. Fair enough. Then. Yeah. Now, it's already been proven that somehow, some way, a country like Iran is able to surpass, or let's say match, but in some cases surpass, our drone technology. They could shoot our drones down left and right, and okay. they've really focused on this industry themselves and have yeah. quite the reputation as putting out a quality product, more so even than us in Israel. Okay, Talk about okay. woke moment. Right. So obviously, yes, there's a lot of bright scientists in Iran. There always has been, there always will be. But I'm sure they're also being aided by elements in China and Russia. Mm, and what I see having, before I personally jump onto the bandwagon of, woohoo, UFOs, man, let's have at it. <laughs> let's have at it. 
I'm saying that I am 95% certain at this point okay. that this is foreign technology that we don't know how to interpret, that is more advanced than what we've got. Okay. What, what percentage are we talking about? Of what? Of what percentage of, oh, the, say, the these 100, 120 plus incidences detailed in this report, what percentage would you say we can write off? Well, I'll tell you what. Let's say... To foreign... In, foreign uh, oh, at least half. At least think? half, yes. Yeah. Because let's say that there's always a base coat of 30% of this number of reports okay. that the government always dismisses out of hand. Oh, it was a weather balloon. It was a glare. It was a flock of seagulls. Whatever. Yeah. Radar anomaly. You know, you didn't have all the stuff that they come up with. Yeah. So that's always there. But as of late... It's just been ratcheted up. And like I said, that, that non-denial now by the government of yep. saying, well, it's something. Right. We just don't know what it is. Right. Okay? okay. It's like now you're holding a pie. You've taken a bite. And you're like, this is definitely a pie. I don't know what flavor. Okay. Whereas last week you would have called it a cookie. Okay? Sure. All <laughs> right. All right. No, it's not a cookie, folks. It yeah. is, in fact, yeah. a pie. Ah, they scream and they freak out. Yeah. Like the scene from Airplane. Yeah. We're hurtling towards the sun <laughs> at 1,000 miles an hour. And we're also out of coffee. Ah, and everybody freaks out. Yeah. So. Yeah, no coffee is a serious problem. Say a serious problem. Yeah. So again, and they, and they, they go on to remark, because I've you know, listened to you and I've read these things myself, that they were unable to determine the yep. method of propulsion for these yeah. objects. Well, yeah, the, the way these things move, the way they maneuver, right. is apparently way beyond anything that we're capable right. of at this point in time. And my, my response to that was, again, back to the bigger, stronger, faster uh, American approach to things. Yeah. You know, back in the 80s, if you look at the size of an F-14 or an F-15, they, for a fighter plane, massive. Okay. Like, this wingspan is is meant to intimidate and, and inspire some people. Okay? Right. The twin engines when every other fighter plane had one engine. We do things as, as Americans because it's... We think we're living in our own movies, okay? It's a Hollywood world, and this okay. is how we design all of our stuff. All right. Whereas the other countries, and I, I drew um, a similarity between French aircraft, who puts a damn good fighter plane that most of the NATO bloc countries still use, okay, and the similarities to the Russian MiGs, this long history of Russian MiGs. Smaller, faster, more maneuverable, okay? Yeah. That, that was never us. We take planes like that. We have one called the Skyhawk, which they still use as a trainer in the Navy, because it's similar to a MiG. Yeah. It's a very tiny. It's the A4. Very tiny, very maneuverable. Yeah. But what we put our pilots in, giant mammoth, shark teeth, skull and crossbones on the tail, <laughs> F-14s launching from a, from a carrier. Okay. okay? Yeah. And even now, like the next generation, the F-35, okay? which is supposed to be the boogeyman of the air. But at this point, via, via our own press clippings, everybody knows the thing, it's a lemon. It's a flying Edsel, okay? <laughs> it's not living up to the expectations. They're, they're millions and millions of dollars apiece. No other countries are buying these, which is generally the indicator yep. if you've got a good weapon system or not, if everybody else wants to buy it. Shit, they're still buying decommissioned F-16 Falcons yeah. for all these countries around the world because they know it's, it works. It's a good airplane. Okay. But as Americans, we're obsessed with the next thing. Sure. Oh, you can't see this coming. Oh, it's, it's stealthy. It's this. It's that. Oh, yeah. It could carry you know, more weapons than an entire battalion of, of Marines. I think that's like a hallmark <laughs> of the technology era is how much we are obsessed with yes. not what we have, but what's coming next. Yep. You know? Whereas and I think silently, these other countries are steadily just, they're working on it. They're working on it. They're working on it. Yeah. And they are fine-tuning this technology and you know the other thing to forget, not, don't forget, 
what have Americans been watching on the news every night for the past year? Well, the whole pandemic, Trevor. Exactly. Yeah. What has America been obsessed with the whole past year? Obviously, the pandemic and the repercussions. Right. It's not been latest technology. It's yeah. not been what our competitors are doing. It's not looking at our defense spending versus the other countries. We know we spend too much on defense, yeah. but a report came out last week that we don't have the facilities or the manpower or the technology to repair our ships after they've engaged in a battle right. with powers such as China and or Russia. Right. Well, you and I have touched on this before that you know, a big portion of our military spending is in fact propping up the economy. It's really not about building bigger bombs or right. keeping, keeping pace with you it's know, the an, an arms race per dead se. weight of the whole infrastructure and bureaucracy. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, coming from that perspective, let me put this to you for, uh, for a, a, a Johnny Teflon perspective. Um, if we're attributing a good portion of, of, say, for example, these 120 plus incidents that are cited as foreign technology, if it's mm -hmm. Russia, if it's China, uh, on the flip side, it's us doing a podcast in Moscow. Mm -hmm. you know, and we're discussing the same topics, would we be attributing you know, a rough percentage or roughly equal percentage uh, from their perspective to American technology? Because, I mean, let's face it. If they got it, we got it. If they're doing it, we're doing it. See, this and that's the crux of my argument. I think those days are over. Really? I think we're actually living in a world where other countries have superior technology to us. Technology, really? Yep. Okay. And look at it this way, because you drew on Russia. You know, in the 60s, we were flying U-2 flights over them several times a day. Yeah. And we did so with impunity because we were convinced that the Russian SAMs could not reach the altitude that our U-2 flights were yeah, at. Yeah, right up until, until Gary Powers getting exactly, shot down. Exactly, yeah. okay? Then it's, whoop, game changer. Yeah. Now, you had noted on there how many of these uh, sightings are happening outside the Norfolk, Virginia area, okay, yeah. our main yeah. shipbuilding area, mm -hmm. um, as well as nuclear facilities, and as well as nuclear arming facilities for the Navy. It goes on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. Just like we would continually fly over Russia several times a day taking photographs of anything that moved because we could, yeah. that's why... These other these objects, let's call them these drones. Yeah. That's what they're doing. It's simple surveillance because they know they can get away with it. Yeah. And realistically, if you've got, let's say, take a drone, but without the propellers, okay, yeah. about the same size, because size on radar is subjective. Sometimes a bird shows up the same size as a friggin' jet. Right. It's just the nature right. of the beast. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a little flock of these things just sitting off, you know, twenty miles off the coast filming and taking pictures of everything going on because they know they can. Yeah. Because the best we're going to do is send up a fighter plane the size of a city bus to try <laughs> and take out this drone that might be like a foot square in size. Right. Okay? Right. I mean, how ridiculous is that? No, we're not going to stop them and they're going to keep doing it until we come up with a way to stop them. Right, right. That's an interesting perspective, John. I hadn't, hadn't considered that really to any great extent. And, uh, and you know, I think bottom line is uh, at least through what I've seen in this report, what's been detailed, uh, the footage that's now out there, which mm. is compelling, that it is all about surveillance. Right. But the question is, who's doing it? And when are we going to get pictures of these many, 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 many sightings in HD? Okay? Yeah. Because, yeah, we have satellites that can zoom in on somebody's license plate from outer space. Oh, But yet Jesus, all yeah. the footage that we've seen of these, okay, although it does improve slightly over the decades, it's still blob of light, blob of light. Even in... 
the, the heads-up targeting displays on these jets. Yeah. What do you see? Little blob of light, little blob of light. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, like I said on the onset to this, there's, there's, there's a funny nature of this report is it may very well raise more questions than it, it does answers will. to questions yeah. that previously and existed. And look, maybe it, it will shock us out of this technological apathy that this country is in right now. Yeah. I mean, they've been preaching for years we want a smaller, more technologically advanced force on, on every level. Oh, sure. And if done correctly, I'm on board with that. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, look, why don't our troops have body armor, okay? Like, effective body sure. armor. Yeah. Why are you still sending these, these vehicles out? You know what the, the latest contract is for an all-purpose troop vehicle? No. It's a fucking Chevy truck, literally. They're, <laughs> really? they're ordering Silverados and with no armor plating or anything whatsoever, and they're shipping these out en masse to the Army and the Marines. This no, is their okay. latest thing, okay? Right. Now, to me, I'm sorry. That's going backwards, okay? Yeah. Because, look, that, that's, that's like saying... That these Somali warlords, warlords that are driving around in these late model Toyota pickups with yeah. a 50 caliber mounted to the back yeah. is essentially the same thing that we're sending out our, our best and brightest mm. in. I mean, come on. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Johnny is not a fan of Chevy. Not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> like a rock. But I do like Bob Seger. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I'll meet you halfway there. All right. All right. All so right. maybe we haven't completely blown that endorsement. All and right. before I, good, I, good. I just panic everybody and make them think we're going to get invaded... <laughs> I think it's time for a middle gem. I like that idea. I do. I truly do. Because it's your turn to rise and shine, sir. Is it really? Yes. I do appreciate that. Um, I'm kind of compelled to go along okay. uh, with our middle gem as to what we've been talking about in the first, first topic. I know sometimes we you know, use the middle gem as a preview to the sec second topic. And actually, given our se second topic, you could interpret it like sure, that as well. Sure, it works both ways. Yeah. How do you like that? We're versatile. We're very versatile. Uh, Want to go with, uh, with a Rolling Stones tune here? Uh, something uh, off of a probably a more obscure Rolling Stones record than most. Uh, I would expect nothing less from you. 1967's Their Satanic Majesty's Request. There you go. Uh, let's spin out a little 2,000 light years from home, shall we, Johnny? Let's do it. You could sit back and enjoy this tune, and we'll be back in a couple more minutes with most certainly more things and stuff.
was that for tasty? You know, that's that's some pretty eclectic out there shit. Yeah. But not, I like it. Not, not <laughs> what you'd expect from the Rolling Stones by any stretch. Now, and truth be told, fans out there, when Michael Sean Lee first suggested Rolling Stones, I'm kind of like, again? <laughs> and then he says to me, well, I never, I never play any Rolling Stones like jams. I'm like, because you never play any well-known <laughs> Rolling Stones songs. So thanks for the education, but damn. But I'm I'm glad I heard this and I added yeah. two like songs that I like. Well, that was uh, that was from their 1967 album, their Satanic Majesty's Request, mm-hmm. which a lot of people considered the Stones taking the piss out of the Beatles. There you go for Sgt. Pepper. Right, and uh, it was the Stones' one and only foray into psychedelic rock and psychedelia, and a lot of yeah. people felt that was one too many. Yeah, you know, they just did not fit the Rolling Stones. And in Stones. the interest of of transparency and fairness, we did edit out uh, just for length. Some of the introductory yeah. sound exploration, if you want to call it, that they do in the song. But yeah. yeah, go back, YouTube it, folks, hear the whole version. Yeah, it was actually released, uh, 2000 Light Years From Home was the B-side to She's a Rainbow, mm. which is, you know, also one of the... One of my favorite Rolling Stones That songs. is a fun tune. And it, it is, again, you know, part of the Stones' limited foray into psychedelia right. and 1967. Uh, needless to say... The Stones did not go there again. Mm-hmm. I think the follow-up album was uh, was Beggar's Banquet, right. which has a distinctive acoustic, oh, yeah. uh, roots Americana sound to it. And it made it clear to everybody that we're dropping the psychedelic bullshit. We're and I, I tell you what, you know, truth be known, again, in the interest of, of transparency, yes. I hate to make myself sound like the everyman. <laughs> okay. Subject to those foibles that will tear down the average everyman. But yeah. I like She's a Rainbow because it reminds me of a girl. Oh, Oh yeah! Oh. And when she first had me listen to, she kind of made it clear, like you will always remember me now after hearing this. And really, son of a bitch! Damn, if I she to was this good, day, right? Ugh. Wow, wow. Anyway, but yeah, that was uh, that was uh, uh, again, you know, their little flirtation with psychedelia. And I, contrary to a lot of people's opinions, I'd like that album. I thought it was fun. Mm-hmm. I would not have wanted them to do it again. Right. You know, one was enough. But that particular tune, they actually broke it out. In the uh, the '89 Steel Wheels tour, mm-hmm. and gave it the big big stage production, and it was a lot of fun. It really so you're, was. You're a different kind of cat when it comes to that because you're definitely the the kind of person that will listen to uh, dated phrase album. Um, <laughs> yeah, isn't it though? From, from front to back, and absorb it, go back, play it again, and and really attach yourself to the nuances that are included and the work that went into the music. Yeah. I'm a different animal. Yep. So if it doesn't jazz me emotionally from the first five seconds, kind of dismissive. I hear you. Or yeah. if it doesn't remind me of a certain time or place or whenever when I first heard it, yeah. it it's kind of off my radar. I hate to say I have little patience when it comes to that kind of stuff. Oh, I think yeah. sadly that might be the case. Oh, you're from the from the don't bore us, get to the chorus genre, <laughs> which... Uh, you know, <laughs> Never heard that, yeah. and I love it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an industry thing. It's a, it's a, a definitely uh, an insider thing. You hear it mostly from producers who wonder why you're being so indulgent <laughs> with shit like the introduction right, to right. 2000 Light Years that we clipped. You yep. know, it's it's that kind of stuff. But there's an argument to be made for that. And it really what, is. This this know? being episode 70, if you could believe is that. It really? Yes. Shit. Wow. It took me 70 episodes to admit that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So, anyway. Anyway. Yeah. That so brings gonna, us to the subtopic. Yeah, which we're gonna we're gonna tap into tap into something we haven't done in a while. I believe our geeky side. Yes. All that. right. 
Now here's something we hope you'll really like. The uh, the old top three thing. Yes. yes. Which is always three. fun. It's always fun. It is. Yeah. It is. Because sometimes we surprise ourselves like literally we did right before going to tape the second segment. I was like, oh, my God, this is my third choice, which I was going to go with something else I wouldn't have been happy with. Yeah. So basically, no, you came up with some, some inspired stuff. We got some I stuff say, here. Both yeah. of us do. And this yeah. is, um, for those playing at home, this is our top three of science fiction space movies not attached to Star Wars or Star Trek. Yep. Primarily dealing with spaceships. I think yeah. that's kind of our... That's yeah, that's, what we're, that's, that's in where on. we're coming, coming from today. The whole UFO thing. The whole exactly. uh, yeah, interstellar transportation scenario. You know, if I didn't know any better, I would say we had a staff of people that put this episode together because it's, it's pretty tight, man. <laughs> it, 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 it's actually, dare I say, well done. All right. Well, but we're we not gotta, over yet. We, we got time to fuck that we, up. Yeah, I was going to say, we got to find those staff people <laughs> that did this and fire them immediately. We got to cut them loose. Tell them to bring me a nice we, cold seltzer or yeah, something here. We, can't have this shit. Not not on a weekend, <laughs> week out basis. You know, we can't have it. But yeah, you know, we want to want to focus on uh, focus on movies that uh, space transportation, yes. if you will, was involved was a significant part of the movie. Right. And uh, and you know, God knows there was a lot of stuff. Yes, um, it was a it to was a tough from. topic. Yeah, definitely tough to to narrow it down. Yep. It really was. But we own them. They're all personal to us in our, we, in our own oh little yeah, way. We got this. We got this. Do you want to start off, sir? All right. Um, my number three choice, uh, you don't actually get a chance to see the ship in, until the very end of the movie. Mm-hmm. But when you do see it, it's like, wow. And, uh, and I'm talking about the abyss. Okay. Yep. Um, yep. You remember they raised the ship up from you know what is basically the equivalent of the Marianas Trench mm-hmm. or whatever. It's like. 40 miles down or some foolish thing like that. Yep. And, uh, and yeah, at the very end, it's obvious that, you know, a statement needs to be made. Uh-huh. Uh, this was James Cameron at his idealistic best. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I do want to say the ending uh, on both the, uh, the cinematic release and the director's cut was just cheese on steroids. It right, was just right. over the top. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but if you look at the, uh, the director's cut, you know, you kind of see the idealism behind it. Every once in a while, you can you can go with the whole suspension of disbelief thing right, right. and go with the message to the movie. And uh, and I always thought it was kind of cool in that respect. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this thing that they bring up from the depths of the ocean is insane. You right. know, they're they're like, you know, navy warships that are like teetering like toys mm-hmm. on the deck of this thing, and it's and it's really quite <laughs> impressive. And this was back when you know we still watched most of. The movies that we watched in the movie theater, right? You know, this this is one of those that does not. You can't watch it on your your TV at home and do it any kind of justice whatsoever. Well, I don't care how big your flat screen <laughs> is. You got to see this in the theater. It's you know? funny that you should say that because um, I, I, I have two thoughts on on that choice. Yeah. Number one was at the time this came out, uh, young Johnny Teflon was working in a video store. Really, it was a chain called uh, RKO Video. Okay. Kind of, they had a bunch of different stores on the East Coast. All right, are we talking some like clerk shit here? Kind of, sorta. Yeah, All right. All because right. we had a video disc player which we were supposed to play movies on for the people that were coming in, sure. and I'm like, oh, I'd like to see that. You know? Yeah. Now keep in mind, this is when you could buy movies on VHS. But they might be fifty dollars a piece, right? Okay? Yes, I remember that. <laughs> so one of the four 
laser discs we had yeah. was the abyss. Oh wow! So and now this, got, this, this just for the for the young folks uh, listening at home <laughs> was this the laser disc that was about the size of an album? A platter, yes. Yeah, yeah I remember. That. <laughs> yep. So let's take amazing technology and make it giant. Oh with, yeah, like, you had to have the player that went with it. Yes, like yeah. how in a million years did this not take off? Yeah, well, really. look at the size. <laughs> it's the size of a pizza. Exactly. So that was number one thought about the abyss. Number two was. My, my, my very simple thought on James Cameron, why does he hate the American military so much? And I say this because all of his military people in his movies are always bad guys. Yeah, yeah. Especially, what did Michael Bine ever do to him? Jesus, seriously. Seriously. <laughs> so he's, he's the seal with the bends yep. in the abyss. Yeah, who loses right? his mind. And, right. Yeah, tries to kill the heroes. They paint unflattering pictures of the Marines in Aliens, and they yep. make sure that they get dispatched immediately. That's right. Yep. Even on his new shit with, with the glowing blue people... You know, the Marines are the bad guys because they're tearing up the jungle. <laughs> yep. It's like, what's his... Did, did, did the Marine bang his wife at some oh, point? Geez, I mean, you know, you got to wonder. You got to wonder. He needs to get yeah. off that. And axe to grind there. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. I'm surprised he didn't do a sequel to the Titanic where it was like a German U-boat sinking <laughs> it because it fit his narrative. But, no, inspired choice, that first yeah, one. Yeah, good abyss. fun. The movie was good fun, right? It literally was an f- absolute five-star movie yeah. right up until the end. And <laughs> just like, okay. We'll, hey, they we'll can't g- all be gone with the wind, yeah, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll give it to you because, you know, of a two-hour or two-and-a-half, actually, the director's cut was probably about three hours. So Oof. for two hours and 55 minutes, it was absolutely phenomenal. And you just kind of got to bite the last five. Got it. Yeah. So what do you got, John? All right. Coming in at my number three, uh, I'm going to go with, um, well, let's hit some low-hanging fruit here. Uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, there we go. Spielberg at his finest. Uh, And what I love about it is, well, everything. But I love how all of the dread in the movie, if you go back and watch it, is caused by our own government. Yeah, You see the aliens, and in the last... Eighth of the movie, you see the aliens, and they're friendly. They're relatively right? benign. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like he forced that narrative at us. It's our collective impression that, well, with all these things happening, why wouldn't aliens be evil? Nobody ever stopped to think until the very end when these yep. little childlike bald people yep. come out and take Richard Dreyfus's <laughs> hand that yep. it's all going to work out just fine. Yeah, you, you, know? get that, you get that impression in the end. And this is another movie like The Abyss where the giant ship yeah, right, yeah, right at the very end makes the statement. When it plays know? those notes and it blows out the windows. <laughs> yes. You're like, this is, how can this, this is amazing, right? Yep, yep, absolutely. All right, absolutely. number two to you, sir. Uh, all right. Um, I want to go with... Uh, with uh, Something that our, uh, our good friend John Farvo, who's been doing uh, The Mandalorian, did mm-hmm. uh, not too long ago that I thought was a truly inspired uh, script, uh, Cowboys and Aliens. Okay, okay. Yes, with, uh, with Mr. James Bond himself. Um, James Craig. Yeah, yes. Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. And, uh, yep. and yeah, a, a great cast. Mm-hmm. Harrison uh, Keith, Ford in that also? Harris, right? Harrison Ford is in it. Keith Carradine is in it. Okay, okay. Um, and yeah, just a very interesting... It almost had a... A Quentin Tarantino-esque uh, complete change in direction that you don't yeah. see coming. You know, we go from a standard, you know, Western fair to suddenly this science fiction thing. Right. And it's kind of a cool idea, the idea of how would people from the 1800s react to UFOs? Right. You know, what would they do? What would they say? You know, they, in the movie, obviously, they try and fight them with conventional weapons, mm-hmm. you know, with shotguns and whatnot. doesn't do shit. Right. You know, and, uh, you know, they got to bring in the local Native American tribe, 
you know, to, to you know, save the day in the end, rescue the, uh, the kin folk, uh-huh, and, uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, chase away the aliens who, of course, have invasion and, and domination of the human race on their minds. Sure. And uh, I thought it was a great spin on, on you know, a genre uh, that doesn't leave you with many, many surprises. Right. You know, the standard Western genre. Yep. You know, well, we'll throw some aliens in here and see what happens. Sure. No, I mean, it makes perfect sense. And I, I think of an old B-movie that I liked as a kid... Uh, starring Fred Ward. I believe it was called Time Rider. Okay. And he's a professional motocross rider on this race to the desert, and somehow gets zapped back to the Old West. Oh, no kidding. And it's the same thing. It's a fish out of water. He's like a modern guy, and they look at his motorcycle. It's like, whoa. Right. And the head outlaw in the area like wants this bike and shit. <laughs> but it was like a very light version, a little like toe in the water of time travel movies kind of. Right, right. But it's, 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 it's fun in the sense that, like you said, so many other things can like dip their toes in the water, that whole Western genre, and freshen it up. Yeah, you know? yeah, very much so. A different take on. So, yeah. all right, good fun, yeah, good deal. Back over to you, John. All right, my number two. We get a little heavier on this one. All right, okay? all right. Uh, there was an animated cartoon that I loved as a kid called Star Blazers. Okay, and it was one of the first forays into, as they call it, this is not a racial epithet. Jap animation, because okay. it's you know, yep. animation yep. from Asia, the whole manga thing. Oh, yeah. Very, and, very um, distinct it was. Yeah, and it came over in the mid-'70s, was already dubbed from its, its Japanese version. Okay. And as a cartoon, it was bra- uh, groundbreaking because it was a serial. Every episode was connected, and I kept you, like, a track, day 500 of the mission, whatever. <laughs> nice. And loved it, loved it, loved it. And there was, like, I don't know, eight different incarnations of this now and all these series and toys and everything. Yeah. So back in 2000, and I want to say 2008, they came out with a live-action version of this from Japan, like, on the scope and scale of any Star Wars movie I've ever seen. And okay. they, they nailed it. So much, in fact, though, that I was so excited to get it, I wasn't able to get a dubbed version. I watched the Japanese version with no subtitles Whoa. and enjoyed the shit out of this movie. Nice. All right. Just from the, the spectacle and the special effects and these, these like operatic space battles that they were having yeah. with this uh, space battleship Yamato that they raise up from the crust of the planet. <laughs> Just, right. I recommend it to everybody. It's so well done. And the nice. cartoons especially are super well done. Okay. And characters die. I mean, it's, it's got some adult themes in there. Right, right. Um, but yeah, so super duper well done. And in terms of space travel, it's like, yeah, you're in this giant space battleship kind of refitted from the 40s right. going across from one end of the galaxy like to the other, yeah. fighting enemies along the way, losing crew members along the way. Sounds epic. Yeah, totally epic, and that's the best word to put on it. Nice, nice. Inspired call, Johnny, inspired call. I <laughs> uh, want to take with my, uh, with my number one pick and, and do a little left turn, hopefully catch a few people off guard. All right. Uh, I want to go with a classic, classic indie film uh, from the early 1980s called Repo Man. Okay, yeah. I am familiar. Yep. You know the uh, the the aforementioned spacecraft mm-hmm. in uh, in Repo Man is I think it's a '72 Chevy Malibu, <laughs> if I remember correctly. I could be wrong on that. Don't quote me on that. But uh, but just the, the movie is is totally indie, totally irreverent. Not to be um, confused with Repo Man. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Big big difference. <laughs> big difference. Though this one did have uh, I don't know who was in Repo Man, but Emilio Estevez mm-hmm. was in this one um, back when he had indie cred. Right and uh, and yeah, it was produced by a bunch of the uh, the punk rock community okay. of Los Angeles of that time and of that era, and there's just so many aspects to them. It was obviously low budget, mm-hmm. you know, but there were so many aspects to that film 
that are absolutely, absolutely irreverently hilarious. Right. You know, from like the generic um, products in the uh, in the market that they you know stumble into, like just beer, right. or just <laughs> chips. You know, it's white, blue label, and whatnot. You know, Emilio's you know parents have been uh, have been uh, taken up by a cult. Mm-hmm. You know, and they've spent all his all his you know college tuition money on the cult, and just it, there's there's so much social commentary in the movie of that time period of the early 1980s, and uh, and it's all set in Los Angeles, which is really cool to me anyway, and uh, and yeah, just just a completely irreverent off the wall. Harry Dean Stanton okay. plays a great character in that. Um, so what's cl- the actual spaceship in it? Is it this? It's the car. The, the car. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it. Yeah, it's it's without running spoilers and whatnot. If uh-huh. if anybody's listening to this who hasn't seen it, you just got to go out and watch it. That's fair. You know, That's it's fair. just completely irreverent, completely off the wall, mm-hmm. and it's a timepiece. It is so so of the time that gotcha. they created the movie. You know, there's a great quote from it. Um, I was just actually watching Twister the other night, mm-hmm. and they quoted from Repo Man, and it's always funny to see one That's movie quoting yeah. another movie. But yeah. you know, it was uh, you know most people spend their lives getting out of trouble. Repo Man spends his life getting into trouble. Uh-huh. You know, and it was just just <laughs> like I said, it's irreverent, it's off the wall, it's very punk rock. You know, if anybody out there is curious, you know, right. definitely dial it up because it's uh, it was very unique and it was very. Of its time, gotcha, and uh, and it had aliens. Right there, you go. There you so go. that was your that was your number three. That was my number one or All number right. three, depending on which direction we were going. Sure, I, I think that was okay. We built okay. We're building up. Yeah. So then my number one. All right. Off the beaten path, but yet one of those movies that is so much more appreciated now than it was when it came out. It was Walt Disney's The Black Hole. Okay. Which um, not a Disney sounding title right there. No. And and Disney prior to nineteen eighty did nothing but cartoons, family fair. Yep. Even if it was a serious movie, there was always an animated character in it somehow or sure. a musical or whatever. Yep. But they they wet their beak in actual serious movies twice. Once with and these came out about the same time. Yep. Once with uh, their cinematic version of Ray Bar- Bradbury's Something Wicked This Way Comes. I remember that, yeah. Which was excellent. And this movie, The Black Hole, kind of to compete with the Star Wars craze. Interesting, okay? yeah. And without going into the plot and whatnot, it's extremely, like on a Moby Dick level, laden with symbolism. Oh, wow. And allegory. And it was lost on audiences at the time, okay? <laughs> okay. So instead, yeah. let's focus on a, on a cast consisting of um, 70s matinee icon uh, Robert Forster, who had recently passed away, Ernest Borgnine, Anthony Perkins, Maximilian Schell. No, um, shit, that's a cast. Right, right robots voiced by um, Roddy McDowell and Slim Pickens. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what's not to love? My main circuit's blown, and both backups are failing. Seriously. But it's a great original story. It is very dark. And that's why it was kind of like Disney put it out and then was like, Yeah, Disney Can we stuff this horse back in the barn? Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Because people didn't know how to take it. And they had like a toy line and everything, but it was just, it just stood out like a sore thumb. So for many years, Disney wouldn't even acknowledge it. And I don't even think if you go like to their own streaming channel, Disney Plus, you won't see it on there. Really? They're still just kind of like, We don't want to admit that we did this. No kidding. And yet it was just, 
looking at it, like uh, top notch production quality, the special yeah. effects were good. The story's very original. You know, in all honesty, if you tell me Disney didn't want to cop to it, I'm I'm checking that film out. I want to see what that's all about. Right, and yeah. really, the same thing could be said for something wicked this way comes, which you will at least see occasionally on Bravo yep. or Turner Classic Movies, because again, like there, there was the star turn by. Um, Jonathan Price, the okay. English actor, when he was much younger, basically right. playing the devil. Uh, another great star turn from Jason Robards as the father of one of these boys that the devil is pursuing. Okay. And just a timeless story that's been parried, parodied and, 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 and copied in so many different ways, including my favorite episode of Rick and Morty. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the pedigree right there. That's, that's nice. my number one. Nice. Ah, inspired call, John. Inspired Thank call. Thank you. I have fun with that. Ah, it makes me want to run out and, and check it out. Find Black a copy hole. and check it out. Yes. Yeah. Something <laughs> something dark from Disney. Seemingly contradictory. Yeah, because really, like the darkest thing they did before that was the scene in Fantasia when, uh, what was it, the evil wizard or Maleficent or somebody comes up from the mountain. Whereas nowadays, like a lot of their live action movies, because they want to redo all these classics with real people, yep. Angelina Jolie as Maleficent, I mean, that's... That's a badass character That's right an there. Inspired call. The one oh, out yeah. in the movies now of Cruella, like the prequel of Cruella Deville, <laughs> is probably dark as shit. <laughs> so true. now they're embracing it, and it's just odd that all the more reason they haven't brought back these other movies for people to re-examine. Right, right. Good stuff. I enjoyed that segment, man. That was yeah. fun. Shall fun we, stuff. Uh, shall we cap it off with a gem? Uh, I'm sure you've got one in the chamber, I sir. Do. I what do. I do. Since you were kind enough to bequeath me two gems it takes a village. in this show. I, I appreciate that. I'll have my vengeance next time. Very good. Uh, something that, again, is thematically uh, going along with, uh, with all the topics that we've been talking about today. Um, this, is, uh, this is one that's near and dear to my heart. After Jane's Addiction broke up, Perry Farrell and Stephen Perkins put together a new band, a band called Porno for Pyros, and their debut album was birthed under the, uh, under the, the dark shadow, if you will, of the L.A. riots. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a matter of fact, the term Porno for Pyros, according to Perry Farrell, uh, came from a, an ad that he saw in some kind of porno magazine advertising firecrackers. <laughs> And they said, it's like porno for pyros. And uh, their debut album was Watch very... Watch your extremities, yeah, kids. Yeah, I'm telling you. Their debut album was very cutting edge and uh, very of its time. And uh, this was the big hit from that album. that got a lot of airplay at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a song called Pets. All right, so here we go, folks. This one's coming right at you, and we'll be back to wrap things up.
how's that for an idea to consider? That chorus you know? is going to stick in my head. Yeah, we yeah. It, it, <laughs> well, it's, it's wow, it's kind of a very science fictiony idea that. True. You very know, when the, attacks. When the aliens <laughs> come, you know, the human race is going to make great pets for the aliens. True, because we don't stand a chance. Yes, yeah, seriously. Yeah. You know. We're doomed. But, uh, but yeah, in t- typical Perry Farrell fashion, you know, taking an idea and putting it in a completely unique. Uh, perspective that mm-hmm. probably no one else in the known universe would have come up with to consider. It's like, oh yeah, well, we'll you make love great... him. You were just in love with him. Uh, I admire. Snap out of it. I admire his accomplishments <laughs> as an artist. Uh, I admire his taste in drugs. Um, you know, what I thought I, I was say? a David Lee Roth groupie, but you sir have me beat. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't have a poster of, of Perry in my bedroom like you have of Dave. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We could. All right. Fair All right. enough. Now, normally, 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 now that we put that one to bed, uh, normally this is where we talk about what's coming up Big Boom Radio this week. Yeah. Uh, and we talk about the shows and whatnot. But we actually have a very special episode of Riffs and Rants coming up uh, featuring our good friend John James, comedian John James. Some yep. of you people may have heard of him. Um, why don't you tell us about it, John? Well, just to uh, throw something different out there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with John. I've been for some time, and you know, he's he's avid listener to the podcast, yep. and uh, you know, give me like little tidbits, his opinions on this and that here and there and whatnot. And I thought it would be a fun episode to have him come on, and we're going to be talking about two things that are near and dear to both him and I's heart, and stuff that he knows a lot about. So, without giving anything away, it's going to be a very pop culture orientated episode. Okay, much lighter than our normal fare. There will be no debate. <laughs> Might be a hell of a lot of sound clips uh, and some definitely different gems than what we're used to. Okay. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, John brings a certain irreverence slash razor sharp common sense to the table. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Which will cut through a lot of the, you know, nonsense that I naturally bring to the table. You big dummy. <laughs> and uh, we'll give you, sir, a well earned and acknowledged. Meaning, like, we're not going to be like, where the hell's Michael Sean Lee? <laughs> yeah, really? You're actually going to take a delightful day off. Ah, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to Listen it. Listen to I'm those opera records you like so much and, yes. and things like that. <laughs> yes. Yes, the first thing I'm going to do is dial up the opera. Yes. I tell you what, your ass better be home working on the next episode for when you come back. I tend to think it's probably how it's going to work out. But, <laughs> good, um, good. but no, I, 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 you know, I appreciate the break, uh, you know. As, as always, we've been working hard. We've been working hard on a number of different things. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, seating the microphone, you know, for a night to John. I'm, yep. uh, I'm looking forward to hearing his perspective on things. It's always unique. It's always humorous. Right. Like I said, he's a, he's a good friend to, uh, to Riffs and Rants and to Big Boom Radio. And uh, I actually look forward to being a member of the audience uh, that night. My, my favorite quote of his is that, you know, I really like when you guys like talk about like the songs and everything, but I, I don't listen to the songs. <laughs> I'm like, what? How the hell do you even do that? But I, I know like his, his musical like taste, it. and it's just, yeah, it's just not what we're into. But yeah, typical of him. He's like, no, I, your insight on the stuff and the, and the bands you talk about and the stories, like, that, that's good stuff. But I, I don't listen to the tunes. I fast forward to this. Nice. All right. Nice. Hey, all to right. each his own. We all hey. eat our peanut butter and jelly different ways. Indeed. You know? Indeed. That's the in- world we live in. Absolutely. So absolutely. on that note, let's put a wrap on this one. And as always, I'm Johnny Teflon. And I'm Michael Sean Lee. And we'll see you all on the flip side.